Before we get started, before any of this starts, I'd like to remind you that you can experience an ad-free version of this by clicking the link in the description that says plus.acast.com slash s slash Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Exurga Deus Dissipentur Nemici Eius, et Fugianchio Deruntium Afacia Eius. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let all those who hate him flee from before his face. I was listening to a podcast. Um, it's actually The Exorcist Files. Um, it is not for the faint of heart. That's for certain. <clears throat> if talking about exorcism and stuff like that actually um, you find it intimidating, then I would recommend against actually looking into it. Also, if you seem to feel a certain sort of uh, impulsive curiosity, might not be the best idea either. But listening to the podcast brought me to a conclusion and what it's all about. Everything that's going on today. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Arcangel, defende nos in proelio, contra nequitiam et insidias diabolias do praesidium. Imperatili Deus supplicas de bracamur, duque princeps militae calestis, satana maliosque spiritus malignos, qui ad perditionem animarum, pervegantur in mundo divina virtute, in infernum de trude. Amen. Cor Jesus Sacratissimum, miserere nobis, Mater Dolorosa, Ora pro nobis. Sancti Iosif, ora pro nobis. Domine, ostende facium tuum et salvi erimus, Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio Est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. So there's a lot going on in the world today, obviously. I've covered a lot of it in the podcast in the past. Um, I've become more rare specifically because the news is moving significantly slower than I would expect. The benchmarks that I'm looking for are kind of spread out. We seem to be in between some. I'll give you a quick rundown of some of the benchmarks that I've been looking for in the past and what I see sort of coming up in the future, although while I believe it's going to be within the next 6 to 12 months, 
I mean, it's all in God's time. The first one is of the um, so-named beast system. Now, for those who aren't aware of Catholic um, speculation in this particular area, the beast system generally refers to the one world government. Um, so you've got the currency that is universal across the earth. You've got, um, you know, the political systems that pretend to vie with each other for power, but are actually sort of interplaying um, in an attempt to sort of unify as one singular entity. And under this entity, of course, eventually will <clears throat> enter in the Antichrist, the one, the false prophet, all of those things in, in sacred scripture in the book of Revelation. Now, we're headed in that direction. Is it going to be successful? Honestly, I don't know, because the divisions that I see, when I look at them, they only appear to be separate. And I could be mistaken in that they only appear to be separate. They could actually still be separate, and we may still be a ways off. However, it does appear like we're headed in that direction faster um, than in previous points in history. Now, as to whether or not this is going to be the end all, I honestly do not know. I suspect that it is. It feels like it is. It senses, you know, it senses out when you look across um, when you look when you look across the entire world. It does appear like the whole world is completely falling apart and is making itself ripe for a singular individual to pluck the fruit and take control of the whole thing. That's what it appears. But we've been saying this, honestly, for, I mean, seriously, close to 2,000 years now, that it has to be, you know, that it has to be the time. The great saints in, you know, in the 9th and 10th centuries believed the same thing as we were coming up on the turn of the first millennium. There've been prophecies and people who stood up and said that this is happening, you know, in the 15th century, 16th century. These things are not abnormal. However, all of them that did not actually result in the final uh, drawing back of the curtain and the and the appearance and creation of the new heaven and the new earth. All of those things we understand as Catholics are precursors, and this too may be a precursor. I, however, don't think that it is because of how widespread this actually is. It is still broken up into pieces, but the network is in place. So, for example, one of the benchmarks I was looking at was the Inflation Reduction Act that was going to formally codify all of the things in the that for America that were written about in things like the UK Fires document or spoken about in the World Economic Forum. These things all seem to be moving in that same direction. And the only thing that actually offered me a little bit of confusion, honestly, was the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. No joke, that I found to be a confusing thing because that was the one thing that just appeared to not match. Because prior to the Ukraine invasion, it appeared like Russia was actually going to begin to integrate into the global system. 
And it could simply be that the Yahoos and Davos and, and the United Nations and Brussels and all of and all of those centers of Western power overplayed their hand and tried to do something that Putin, for all intents and purposes, actually detected to be a real, clear, and present danger to what he was trying to build. Now, I'm saying all of this not imputing guilt in any direction because that it's, honestly, it's just a waste of time. You want me to say Putin's a good guy? That's not going to happen. I don't think he is. You want you want me to say that America is on the side of right right now? That's not going to happen because it is clear that we are not. And the same is true for France and Germany and and the European Union. The same is true for Austra- for the Australian government and many of the African governments. There's a whole big schmeal going on in Africa right now that seems to prove that point and oh hey by the way it's happening in a way that was kind of opposite of what the European Union thought was going to happen the thing is is that in order for the Antichrist to fully take hold we have to be in a time of unprecedented chaos and it can't just be in regions so it can't just be in the Middle East it can't just be in America it can't just be in South America it can't just be in Africa this has to be the sort of tumult that encompasses the entire globe and it appears that that is precisely the case I happened to sweep across a news story the other day that mentioned Nazis in Mongolia I want you to wrap your brain around that concept real quick and and understand that that seems to be broken somehow. But that does seem to be ever-increasing the case. And that stands to reason because if you look back in history, as we were leading up to the Second World War, the two prevalent contesting ideas were both reflections of Marxism. You're going to say, well, America wasn't Marxist. And I'm going to say, are you sure about that? You may want to double check. Because I could tell you everything that I know about it, but the reality is is you're not really going to know unless you check yourself. I can tell you that everything's there. It's written. It's all out for everybody to see. It was socialism and communism that were each vying for supremacy. They were vying for supremacy within the United States, although they had much further to go in the United States to reach the point where we are today. But there is not a doubt in my mind that the West, the United States, Canada, Britain, Europe, they've actually all fallen to some form of socialism worldwide. And those who haven't fallen to socialism are actually under the domain of communism. Those are the two battle plans. Those are the two forces. So it doesn't actually surprise, like it was sort of mind-breaking at first to think of Mongolians as Nazis, but it does stand to reason because Mongolia is not... They're not adversaries of China, but they're not the best of friends. And China is very much a communist system, although they've sort of developed it and sort of broken it out so that it can actually freely operate in the world today. 
it is in fact worldwide. Vladimir Putin's number one accusation about the things that are going on in Ukraine is that they're being taken over by Nazis, which the Azov Battalion is very clearly Nazi. This isn't even... <laughs> what's funny about it is, is that this wasn't a controversial statement to make five years ago. And somehow, over the course of the last year and a half, two years, it has become a very controversial statement. Because, and here's the key, that would mean that the United States, in supporting the current Ukrainian government, is at least distantly supporting a rise of Nazism once again. Now, you'll notice that in all of these things, I have left out fascism, because fascism is slightly different, and it's different in a way that is significant. You see, because Nazism is government and business. Communism tries to subsume business so that business is government and therefore government is actually pretty much the whole. Fascism, as it was always understood up until recently, and when I say recently, I mean in the last 50 years, fascism adds in church. And that is why there was a rise of Islamofascism, which is to be distinctively different from fascism. Fascism is actually born of Christian lands. So you do actually, to be technical about it, have to separate it from Islamofascism, from Islamism, because it is that it is the church overtaking the government. Or well, it is in the case of Islamofascism, the mosque taking over the government. We see this in Iran with the Ayatollah. You see it in Afghanistan and throughout the Middle East with the mullahs and the imams who seem to direct people in the direction that they're supposed to go. Now, this is, in its overarching structure, not dissimilar from what right government is. Right government is the church and the state, the two swords, the sword of the church and the sword of the state leading all of the people. The hierarchy of the church under the pope and the hierarchy of the state under the king. Fascism is sort of like the cheap knockoff of what monarchy is supposed to be. And it and to be sure, I would certainly prefer what I've just defined to democracy to even this democratic republic, this constitutional republic, this so-called representative government that's currently in America today. And I prefer it for a few obvious reasons. The first and foremost is that everybody who says that they follow God, all of the prominent leaders who say that it is their faith that is guiding them to make these asinine decisions that they're making, most of them are Catholic. Most of them are modernists. Most of them in their heart are communist or socialist. Most of them are simply greedy, power-mad leches. Which is what you get when you're not really listening to the vicar of Christ. Which brings me to what is actually going on today. 
There is a lot of discussion as to whether or not Francis is the Pope. It has been for several years. It has been getting kind of interesting because it is nice to see trad circles are kind of backing off from trying from trying to make the particular arguments that they're making and simply pointing out that the human element of the church, the Curia, the Vatican, as it were, has gone completely off the rails, specifically since the Synod on Synodality. Now, if you take a deep look into the Synod on Synodality, the whole point behind the Synod is to apparently upend and invert the church whereby laymen are given the authority that belongs to bishops. They want to democratize the Catholic Church. And the leader of this charge, in all honesty, has been Jorge Mario Bergoglio, the Bishop of Rome. He who doesn't even refer to himself as the Vicar of Christ. Now, why is this important? This is important for one fundamental reason. It's one of the questions that I've had, and I suppose, and this is only supposition of, of a non-theologian, I suppose it's because if they can delete the papacy, if they can remove the power, the authority that was granted to the one holy Catholic and apostolic church under the leadership of the Vicar of Christ, the Bishop of Rome, the Pontifex Maximus, if they can delete that authority, subsequently, in all honesty, they delete the authority, at least in the minds of the people, they delete the authority of the bishops. They delete the authority of the hierarchy. They delete the authority of Christ the King. They even delete the authority of the priest which seems to be the direction that everybody wants to head in, which is why they're like, oh, well, we're just going to make women priests and we're, going to, and we're going to, you know, do all sorts of, all manner of things that were never permissible, that were never allowed in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Not ever allowed. Why would they do this? Simple. It is a fight for dominion not the voting machines. Although I did always find it laughable that we were going to call voting machines, like there was going to be a company called Dominion and they were going to put out voting machines and nobody thought that that was a bad idea. It's up there with intelligence agency. There's an intelligence agency, I think it's a company, called Palantir. And nobody thought that it was a bad idea. Like, oh, well, we're doing all of this and it's, it's to illustrate this scope and it's like, um... Yeah, but who was it serving? What does that say about the service that you actually provide? So the concept of the Dominion voting machines, simply being named Dominion, give me a moment of pause, because there's no way, there's absolutely no way I would, I would, hey, let's go ahead and do that. No, 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 no. Names matter, words matter, definitions, and even connotations matter. But to get back to the point at large, the issue is dominion.
after the fall of Adam, the devil and his minions had dominion over the earth. When a man or woman is in a state of mortal sin, demons have dominion over them. And the only bulwark for the last 2,000 years has been Christians. The only one to break the power, to break the chains of the demonic, have been Christians. Specifically, the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, the Catholic Church. When Pope Leo XIII of, of Happy Memory had his vision in which he incorporated the St. Michael's Prayer to be recited at the conclusion of every Mass. The devil went up to God and said, if you give me, if you give me power, I can destroy your church in a hundred years. One hundred years. Now, there's no discussion as to when that one hundred years would start. There's no... We have the number 100 years, and there's still no certainty as to what that calendar actually looks like. We know approximately when Pope Leo XIII had the vision, and it's certainly been far longer than 100 years. But never has there been a time, in all honesty, where the devil has been closer the one whom we identify as the Holy Father, the one whom we Catholics know is the Vicar of Christ. He appears to teach heresy. He appears to be more concerned about his own power, about loyalty to him, than loyalty to, to the one true king. And that's concerning, to be, to be sure. To be absolutely certain, that is, concerning and disconcerting, it is terrifying when you really think about it. But it's also something that had to happen in the end times. And in microcosm, throughout history, it has had to happen. It happens in microcosm when a priest forgets his role decides that he's not just the instrument of God, he is God. That he's not acting in persona Christi, but he is Christ. That he is the one. It happens in a larger micro when it's a bishop or a missionary. And we've seen these things come to pass in the, come to pass in the past. You know, the likes of Theodore McCarrick, the likes of uh, Father Marcel Maciel, We've seen these things happen where it just seems to go completely off the rails. And it leaves nothing but death and destruction. Not necessarily physical death and destruction, although in the case in the case of Francis that has been the case clearly. Ask any Chinese Catholic. It has absolutely been the case. Ask the Armenians. 
most people are completely unaware that Armenia seems to be going through another genocide. We're talking about a Christian population that is going through yet another genocide. And in all honesty, it's probably connected to the original one, but they are in fact landlocked and surrounded on all sides by Muslim nations. And no one, no one is coming to their aid. No one is talking about them. No one is moving mountains to try and intervene on their behalf like we are for Ukraine. And that's questionable because, I mean, why? Why would we stretch our necks out for the most corrupt government in the world, but we wouldn't stretch our necks out to protect Christians, to protect people who simply want to know, love, and serve God? Now, I can't speak to the overall holiness of the Armenian people. I've never been to Armenia, so it would be pointless for me to make any suppositions in one direction or another. But I do know that they're Christian, and I do know that they're being ignored. And they're being ignored by the entire world that calls themselves Christian. And given the vast number of Armenian Catholics, I tend to wonder, why? Why isn't the Catholic Church doing anything? And the short answer is thus. The more the papacy and the church hierarchy can be denigrated, the more that they can be delegitimized in the eyes of the people, the more that you can take the eternal authority of Holy Rome and sully it with the bad conduct of pedophile priests, of sexual deviants, of drug addicts, of money launderers, of politicians in a collar, the more you can delegitimize these people, the more effective the destruction of the Catholic Church is. There has never been in the history in the history of Christianity such a high rate of atheism in the converted lands. That last caveat is important. People look around and they see all of the things that are going to hell in a handbasket, and they're looking for God and they're saying, well, why aren't you doing anything about it? Failing to understand that the Lord will not in, in, uh, in any way interfere with our free will, our desire to choose him. And we've got all sorts of things distracting us. We have television, which I honestly believe is in fact the image of the beast. Except for the fact that it's not three-dimensional, it does in fact do everything as described in the book of Revelation. It is an image that talks. And here shortly, and this is probably the truly terrifying thing, once they figure out all the glitches that they accidentally introduced into their AI systems, eventually these things will be generated not by people, but by computers. And at that point in time, the image of the beast will be complete. Because the image of the beast will be able to take on any face, will be able to spit any lie. And because it will look real, we will not have the faculties to defend ourselves properly. And lest that time were shortened, as it says in sacred scripture, lest that time were shortened, even the elect 
would be deceived. And that's what we're looking at. We're operating in a world today that is completely nothing but deception. It has been deception. And in all honesty, I feel like we should have probably nipped it in the bud centuries ago when we decided to mislay the word love. In the Gospels, a greater love has no man than he who would lay down his life for his friends. In the butchered translations, there are there is faith, hope, and there is faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And I say they're butchered translations because in English, in the Gospel according to St. John, John is referred to as the disciple whom Christ loved. We say it in English all the time. Oh, he was the beloved disciple, which, which is true. But because we also use that word for romance, because many people are deceived enough to use that word when they really mean lust or infatuation or enchantment, The word love doesn't carry the proper meaning and honestly should actually be taken out entirely because there is a difference between agape, there is a difference between diligare, I think it's diligare actually. <clears throat> Brotherly love, diligence, devotion, adoration. All of these are different words that, because we're simple-minded people and we prefer heuristic processes to actually engaging our brains, we'll just translate them all as love. There is a significant difference, however, between caritas, misericordiae, gratia, and yet we have this nasty tendency to always sort of move them around and shift them around. And charity, which is actually what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is then, well, I mean, love is close enough, right? And diligence and devotion, well, it's close enough to love, right? But diligence and charity, grace, mercy, devotion, adoration... These are all different words. They all have different meanings. They have different contexts. They're used in different situations. They denote different things. Dulia could be translated as love. And then you start to mistake. <clears throat> the hyperdulia that we that we owe to our lady versus the worship and devotion and and unremitting surrender that we owe to God. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Versus, I guess it would be closer to say the fandom that we owe the Saints for having done it awesomely before us. All of these things are different. They're tiered differently. They're measured differently. They mean different things. Charity doesn't mean devotion. Charity means to do that which is good for another for their sake and for the sake of God. It is charity that is patient. It is charity that is kind. It is charity that doesn't judge. It's not love. Certainly not in the modern sense of the word. Charity may be a form of love, but it is not love. Love is most certainly not charity. It is not diligence. It is not adoration. It is not being enamored. Well, it might be being enamored a little bit more than not. And our failure to separate those things, to allow all of that to sit in an amalgam, this morass of, of half-truths, is in fact the lie that brought us to this point. It is the modern definition of love is the reason why Hollywood cannot bring themselves to condemn child sex trafficking. It is a complete misunderstanding of the concepts related to love that allows them to guard people like Hunter Biden or Jeffrey Epstein or Bill Gates or Klaus Schwab or the entire BLM movement, or the entire LGBT coalition. It is not charitable to allow somebody to continue in, in behaviors that are not just vile, but detrimental. That is not love. It is not love 
to not to fail to admonish someone about the improper use of the parts of their body. It is not charity to allow a child to make a life-altering decision to the magnitude of castration or genital mutilation when we don't even let them like by that rationale if a 13 year old can decide to to physically alter their body so that they appear to be the opposite gender then why aren't we letting them buy cigarettes surely I could go buy a cigarette surely if if I am old enough to make the decision to castrate myself to mutilate myself Surely I must be old enough to buy cigarettes. Surely I must be old enough to drive a car. Surely I must be old enough to vote. Surely I must be old enough to purchase alcohol or to own a firearm. Surely I must be old enough to do all of those things if eight years old is old enough for me to decide to go on puberty blockers and thereby stunt my growth and inhibit my ability to completely blossom into the human being that God created me to be, surely I can do all of those other things. You can now, no longer, in all honesty, say that an eight-year-old cannot smoke, that an eight-year-old cannot drink. Because that would at least be consistent. And consistency is a form of justice and a form of charity. All of these people making all of these arguments, oh, well an adult should be able to, no, wrong, wrong. It doesn't matter if you're four years old or 44 years old. Mutilating yourself to that extent is wrong. It will not help. It's not going to solve the problems that you think it's going to solve. It is only going to hurt you. It is only going to deform you. It is only going to deface your body. It is only going to pervert what you are supposed to look like. How do you know what you're supposed to look like? How can I, well, how can you make the declaration of what I'm supposed to look like? Easy. If you did nothing to alter your appearance, what would you look like? If you did not act against your own body, what would you look like? That is what you're supposed to look like. You are supposed to look like what you were made to be. Your identity should be tied to what you are made to be. Not a one of us chose to come into this world. Not a one of us chose to be born. I didn't, I was not the impetus and the driver of my own nativity. There is only one being in all of history that was the impetus and driver of his own nativity. That was Christ Jesus, our Lord. No one else made that choice. The angels didn't choose. <clears throat> the demons didn't choose to be created. They did choose to become demons, of course. But they did not choose to be created. 
And they are demons specifically because they denied what they were made to be. So you could say, by extension, that anyone who defaces and deforms what they were made to be makes themselves, to one degree or another, a demon. Now, for those of you who have tattoos, so do I. I got it. I know that very next argument. For those of you who have earrings and, you know, all of that, I got it. I'm merely stating things that are completely independent of anything that we of anything that we feel we're supposed to believe. So by the degree that you alter your appearance, by the it would be significantly the degree to which you are consenting to become more diabolical, more demonic. And there is such a thing as physiognomy. The physiognomy of sin in particular. People have a tendency to begin to appear exactly as their sins make them. And it is not charity to say otherwise. It isn't. It isn't charity to say, oh no, absolutely, you've got, I've got no problem if you... Can. Now, granted, I'm not going to interfere if you decide to gouge out your eye and cut off your hand. I'm not going to interfere beyond telling you, hey, maybe that's not the best idea if you decide to castrate or mutilate yourself. But if you are a parent, you may have wanted your children. You may have desired for your children. You may have pled with God to give you children. You may have stumbled upon it by accident, but nothing in your will made those children. Those children were given to you by God. And because you didn't make them in the same way that you might fashion a flower pot or a deck or, a, or build a swimming pool or build a car, because you didn't make them your obligations are myriad to the one who did. Your obligations to God, who is the one who made them, who is the one who willed them into existence, who is the one who wove them together in their mother's womb, your obligation to Him is actually paramount. He's given them to you so that you would be stewards over them, so that you would guide them into the kingdom. So that you would teach them. He's made, he's made them, woven them together in an amalgamation between you and your spouse so that you could know for sure they are yours from him. But nothing in your will created them. You had nothing to do with it. You simply fell to the act or engaged in the act. <clears throat> and there is a difference here. 
You engage in the act as husband of wi- and wife. You fall to the act outside of marriage. There was an action on your part which opened the pathways to life, and God decided, yes, now is the time. And I will weave together the child that I have dreamt of, that I have envisioned, that I, before the creation of the world, knew them to be. And I'm going to give them to you to raise and raise properly so that they can make those right decisions so that they can come to know, love, and worship God and serve Him exactly as you're supposed to do. I build things. I fix things. Anything that I build, anything that I make with my own hands is mine. Anything that is formed from my intellect and will, which my hands then create, is mine. Anything I purchase with the fruits of my labors is mine. And differently, the things that are given to me are mine. My children are mine because God gave them to me. He gave them to me with a responsibility. Bring them up so that they know me. In the same way that you know me. Better, preferably. But we cannot give that which we don't have. We can only give them the knowledge. We can only show them the way. We can only teach them the things that they need to know in order to function. You know, you need to be able to eat, you need to be it, and you need to know exactly how to clean your poop. You need to know what it means to actually wash dishes lest you get sick. You need to know what it means to build, either to make a home or to cook a meal. These are things that you need, and these are skills that you can pass on. But what I've noticed, noticed, particularly recently, is all of these children who are supposedly trans they're trans by the will of their parents, most often their mother. I don't know whether these whether these parents understand the magnitude of what it is that they're doing. Maybe some of them do. I doubt it because if anyone knew the magnitude of what it was to convince a child to defile themselves permanently. Our Lord himself said whoever leads one of these little ones to sin, it would be better that they had a millstone tied around their neck and that they be cast into the waters. And our Lord very well may have been speaking of the minor sins. But the sins that are rampant today, particularly in the West and most especially in America, the sins against the flesh that are allowed to be perpetrated, that are recommended 
and given salutary praise. I can only imagine the punishment because it's obvious we were not made for these things. And more than that, whenever they justify it, what do they say? Why don't you love me? Why don't you adore me? Why don't you why can't you recognize that love is love? He who is love, who gave himself for our sins, he would know what love is. And if we want to know what love is, then we need to actually follow his definition. If we want to know what it means to be charitable, to be gracious, to be merciful, then we need to follow his definitions. And that is the one thing that these people can't abide. They have to abolish those definitions. And it's no surprise, really, because this attack on language, this attempt to relativize everything, to moralize falsely, It's an attack on language, it's an attack on words. And any attack on words is an attack on he who is the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So to attack definitions is to attack God. To attack what it means to be is to attack God. To attack identity is to attack God. And the only way that they're going to succeed in this is by delegitimizing the one source that has held set steadfast for thousands of years. The one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. You want to see what the end game is? That's it. If these people are allowed to have their victory over language, if they're allowed to have their victory over identity, then we will be allowing them in their own minds to have victory over God. And that's not going to do anybody any good because if we allow them to have victory over God, how long do you think it's going to be before the rest of us decide, well, we can have victory over God too. We can become like God. And then we're just replaying the original sin. And that, I think, is probably the most entertaining part about those who try to discount the existence of original sin because we are replaying it across the world today. Don't you see, when you eat of that fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be able to understand the difference between good and evil and you will be like God. You will become like him. All you have to do is take the fruit. You can be the one to make the determination as to what a man is, what a woman is. You can be the one to make the determination as to who you are. Not in line with who you were made to be, but with whatever fantasy that you desire. And you can tell that there are a great many people who desire the wildest fantasies that I have ever seen. Because it really started with the differently colored hair and then it was the, you know, the end of fat shaming and all of that, and the sort of demise of physiological health. And then it was in tandem 
the destruction of what proper appearances are. Where now, where once upon a time, the bearded lady was some was some dude who dressed in a who got in a dress and sat in a circus so that other people could so that other people could watch and revile and be put off by such an abomination. To be relegated to nothing more than a curiosity. Now the bearded lady walks in the halls of the house, the White House, the House of Representatives, the halls of government. Now, if you deny the idea, <laughs> now that if you deny the idea that a person can change, can flip-flop as if they were some kind of weird frog, now you're a hater. Now you don't love. Why, I would butcher the whole world if you would only love me, said a very famous actor in a very famous movie who had no comprehension of what it meant to love. Because if he did have comprehension of what it meant to love, he wouldn't have tried to bend his sister. All of these things are interlinked, obviously. I was able to kind of jump from topic to topic without, you know, without any of the clunky transitions that I normally have when I'm trying to talk about a whole bunch of stuff. <clears throat> These are the greatest lies ever told. The words don't really have a meaning. That you can be whatever it is that you want. And they got us there by telling us that tolerance was a portion of love. And they separated love from charity in that moment because any thinking, rational person would have looked and said, okay, well, maybe tolerance is, you know, a portion of love, but tolerance of this is most definitely not charity. And the greatest virtue between faith, hope, and charity is charity. It's the only one that's going to be left. Because when we're all in the kingdom, faith is not going to really have a function. Hope is now no longer a need. But charity will always exist. It will exist forevermore. In saecula saeculorum. Amen. Ultimately, it was a bunch of people who decided they wanted to be God. And they got the idea from the devil. The devil who had the audacity to tell God in front of a holy pope that I need more power and I need a span of time and I can destroy your church. The church that is the light of the that is the light of the world on earth. The church that has all of the teachings of truth, the fullness of the faith. The church that everybody must absolutely get themselves away from because of that old dusty God and his old expectations. Instead, we would rather serve new gods 
And more often than not, in this day and age, those new gods that we're trying to serve are ourself, which is why the synod and synodality is going on. Because it's not really to take the Catholic Church out, it's to delegitimize them enough so that everybody basically just does their own thing. They do what they want to do. Irrespective of what God has already told us we need to do. And God did tell us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I believe in that particular case, love is actually the fullness of the word. If you find yourself fascinated by me, then you will keep my commandments. If you find yourself enamored by me, then you will keep my commandments. If you find yourself wanting to be diligent to my affairs, then you will keep my commandments. If you find yourself overwhelmed with an impulse towards charity, then you will keep my commandments. If you want to be my friend, you will keep my commandments. This is all conditional. These are all conditions. You will keep my commandments if you love me. You will keep my commandments if you serve me. You will keep my commandments if you choose me. Because that's what it means to keep the commandments of God. It's to choose him in everything. If you're prone to gluttony, then then keeping the commandments means that when it comes time for that second or third helping, maybe you don't get that. Maybe you deny yourself that for his sake. If you find yourself obsessed with the positions of power, then maybe you step back and remember. You don't deserve it. You can work for it all you want, but it doesn't just because you work for it. Effort doesn't equal victory. There are many people who made the effort to some degree or another. I mean, in all honesty, they were, you know, probably lying to themselves, who failed to achieve the goals that they were looking for. And in the darkness, when you're all alone, if you're really being honest with yourself, when all things are quiet in the house and not even a mouse disturbs you, if you're being honest with yourself, then you probably know that you haven't done everything that you could do. You haven't chosen God fully. And you could do like the rest of these people and say, well, I don't want to choose God, and so I'm going to head as far away from God as I can get. And we all know where that leads. Depression, suicide, demonic possession, death, destruction, hell, confusion, pain. You can choose to lock all that in. Many people will. I am terrified of the idea that so many people I know are not going to turn away. They've become so habituated in their lives that I fear for their immortal soul. And I wouldn't want to be there when their final breath does come and we find that we have to spend millennia atoning for all of those sins. I will tell you, there's a part of me 
Doubt is not the right word. No, doubt is the right word. I doubt that there are many that there are in fact many people at all making it into purgatory. I truly do. And to be sure, people are in purgatory. Without a doubt, that's church teaching, that's obvious. But I doubt that many people are even making it to purgatory. In all honesty, I think as is also true with church teaching, the vast majority of people are going to hell. And at least some of these people who are making these horrifying decisions might be able to mitigate some of this by not really being exposed to the one true faith. But the more we talk about it, the less that is in fact the case. And people, I think, forget. For those of us who talk about the faith, for those of us who are on you know, social media teaching and talking and preaching about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. For everything that we get right, for every word that we say that is true, we become instruments of grace. Which is weird, because I think I'm probably the least qualified person to be an instrument of grace. I'm not a theologian. I'm not well-learned. I'm not even a particularly good person. I've come nowhere near defeating my own sins. And all I am is trying to give you guys a warning. Trying to give everyone a warning. That you're going to want to get away from those. That the sooner you get away from them, the better. That you don't want to go down that path. And so, with all of the confusion in the world, knowing full well that the devil is doing everything that he can do to try and destroy Christ's church, understand, of course, he will not be, you know, he's not going to do it. He's not going to succeed. So long as there's someone capable of reading so much as a volume of the Roman Catechism, to know and fully understand that which the church has always taught, so long as that, it, so long as that is the case, the church will not disappear. Christ's body will not be eliminated from the earth. Though the Pope become a heretic and lose his office, the office of the papacy does not lose its power. It doesn't lose its authority. The person in the office may lose his capacity to wield it. But the church doesn't disappear just because everybody goes to heresy. The church doesn't disappear just because everyone falls to apostasy. The church cannot disappear because the church is broken up into three parts. The church militant, the church suffering, and the church triumphant. And even should every member of the church militant be destroyed and separated from God, the other two parts still exist, and everyone who's in and everyone who is part of the church suffering will eventually be the church triumphant. And the church will always be triumphant.
And even if we couldn't confirm anybody else there, the fact is, is we know that if the church triumphant consisted of no one except for Christ and his mother, it would still consist of Christ and his mother and therefore be eternal. In the end, her Immaculate Heart will triumph. She who is the symbol of the Church. She who is the Ark of the Covenant. She who is the Bride of God. Spouse of the Holy Ghost. Mother to the Son. Daughter of the Father. Speculum Justitiae. The Mirror of Justice. Cor Immaculata, the Immaculate Heart. Maria Purissima, Mary Most Pure. Even if it was just her, there would still be a church triumphant. And as long as there is a church triumphant, the church will triumph. Christ wins. Christus vivit, Christus regnat, Christus imperat. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen.